Okay, so uh, so you are somebody who loves plants more than perhaps more than humans, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, it's very fascinating to see that there's distinction between plants and animals as such, even though we've all learned that um, living things originated from a single cell, but somehow we diverted into two separate families, plants and the animals. Right. So, uh, and also there are, there's fungi and other things, but let's talk about plants. Okay. Uh, so how, how do you, what do you have to say about the evolution of plants? So the, the thing is uh, plants, you know, one of the things that we can, uh, you know, as a fundamental logic of separation from animals, plants can fix carbon. So they can uh, visualize sunlight as a form of energy. Mm -hmm. And they have the ability, the machinery to fix the carbon from the carbon dioxide. And that's one of the reasons they're so fundamentally different in many ways from us. Yes. Because if you think of it, you know, in, in terms of, you know, thinking of like, you know, going to a storytelling mode, imagine there was, a, you know, this is the way I like to start the conversation, especially with the younger people, because especially when I go to schools and stuff, I, I start the conversation like this. I tell kids, imagine there was a one parent and one parent had two individuals. One was a plant and one was an animal. So the plant, if you think of a plant, the plant does not, the first thing is if you compare it to an animal, the plant cannot move. Mm -hmm. It has to stay rooted in the environment. That's the only way it can get is nutrition and get sunlight. Right. And so in the first instance, the plant would have been the first sibling. So the plant would have come first uh, in, in, in that, in that multicellular form. Mm -hmm. of course, yeah. and, and as soon as it has a few cells and it can fix carbon, now it has energy. So imagine you are a trader and you are in the market you have a product. Mm -hmm. So the buyer has to come to you. Yeah. But the person who does not have the product mm -hmm. is the animal. Okay. Okay. Sibling. So the animal the evolution started out with a cell not being able to do the same thing the plant could in terms of fixing carbon dioxide. Okay. 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 And so they had to come seeking for the energy to the plant. Right. So, but do you during the evolution cycle, uh, did plants, I mean, animals directly originate from plants? Or is it more complicated than that? It is, um, you know, at that point in evolution, you know, it's a little bit more complicated. But in many ways, if you look at, you know, even before plants became multicellular, there are a lot of unicellular plant forms, mm -hmm. like the algae. Yeah. Right. So they were unicellular animal forms. Mm -hmm. And they both were swimming in the ocean or in the water. But the animal cell always did not have the capacity to fix carbon dioxide and produce its own energy. Mm -hmm. So it had to find ways and innovate ways of finding out where the food is, where the energy is. Mm -hmm. So it went seeking to the plants or the plant-like structures like an algae. Mm -hmm. And that's that interaction in many ways allowed plants to go in one path of evolution and forced animals to take another path which involves developing a nervous system, mm -hmm. developing a sensory system first to find out where it is mm -hmm. and to find out or not be eaten by another organism mm -hmm. and then develop sensory organs and develop brains and, and the relationship is still the same no matter how much we have diverged we are still seekers of energy from the plants. Right, yeah. Our agriculture, our horticulture, all these cultures we talk about. Yeah. And then on layered on top all the social cultures, mm -hmm. the foundation of it is agriculture. Right, right. Otherwise we'll be nomadic. We'll still go back to hunting and gathering. Yeah, but even for hunting, the, we should have plants, right? Because 
animals depend on plants if they are not plant yeah. for their own yeah. in that instance you are not culturing them mm-hmm. right so when we talk about agriculture horticulture what we are doing is we are culturing them mm-hmm. just like we have a social culture right in terms of how we behave with each other we are behaving with them in a particular way right we are trying to group them together grow them so that we can harvest the food before the frost comes we do all kinds of things with them okay but somehow somewhere in the learning process you know there was a big disconnect and the disconnect is we think that somehow the plants are just part of the environment yeah the plants are just our food yeah exactly <laughs> that kind of what i call i call it plant blindness okay yeah it's it's some some form of a discrimination even you know so when you think about it um we we take animals as our food but even then there are people who advocate for uh, advocate against cruelty against animals right yeah but when you think about it nobody speaks for plants plants are fair game it seems right and there is there's a fundamental reason for it mm-hmm. one of the other reasons is that the plants are very flexible in their form so that is another fundamental you know in terms of our moral um, commitment to an a living organism the difference is that you know plants can take a lot of damage mm-hmm. imagine even before we came into existence yeah there were a lot of animals which were herbivores and which ate plants dinosaurs yeah so the plants over time has evolved mechanisms to respond to injury in a much more uh, robust manner mm-hmm. compared to the animals if we lose an arm we are done right but if you take a branch of an apple tree and stick it in the soil you get another apple tree mm-hmm. so that's one one other way of looking at it that the plants are very um, regenerated yes 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 right we are not that regenerative yeah right and so that is another difference and plants actually live much longer than a few human generations some right. trees yes 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 and so so in in if you look at our cultures from early times mm-hmm. a lot of the trees are actually worshiped they're part of uh, some kind of religious ceremony right right exactly yeah right and so you have sacred groves you have trees which are considered see and if you look a lot of these uh, even in the monotheistic religions mm-hmm. right christ is associated with joshua tree right a lot okay. of uh, hindu religions krishna okay. and all these guys are associated with a religious tree buddha again is awakening under a religion under a tree yeah. bodhi tree yeah. and see see that the tree is a kind of a a, a mentor for taking a different path of thinking about uh, life mm-hmm. right now for us life is become in the scientific realm it's something that we can dissect and understand but even our understanding is only just a tip of the iceberg we don't understand a lot of things right there are a lot of things we understand so that we can manage mm-hmm. but unfortunately there are a lot of things we don't understand the the reason leading to mismanagement mm-hmm. and a lot of the crisis and you know all kinds of mishaps and environmental problems we face is because of one the misunderstanding of how our relationship is with the environment and specifically plants mm-hmm. and second is our ability to understand our own intelligence and that's where i i also think about in, including the concept of intelligence not just as something that you can respond to but as something that you can adapt the more wisely you adapt to a situation is also a kind of intelligence mm-hmm. right and yeah. so and we we consider it in many ways we call it emotional intelligence we call it social intelligence and all that but the plants have mastered that with other organisms for a long time right but the way they mastered is very different right and so that's the fundamental split in our understanding and even if you go to universities and uh, in a way if you as an example i can tell about my own research career which yeah. might highlight why i chose this path of research mm-hmm. so when i started studying uh, right from my uh, you know high school days 
I realized that plans are much more um, smart in creating form. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons when I started my undergrad degree, I started, I pursued looking at all these different forms the plans have. So if you look at plans and if you want to go and identify a plant, you'll take its leaf or flower and say, and the, the taxonomist who studied this for a long time would look at the flower and say, oh, this belongs to this family. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But for me, the intriguing aspect was if a plant produces, let's say, a flower, it can produce hundreds of flowers. So if you go to a jasmine plant, you pick one flower, go back after 10 days, pick another flower. Yeah. They look exactly the same. So there is an inbuilt intelligence, biological intelligence for them to remember, recall, and make. Uh -huh. right? They remember what, what state they are in, whether to produce leaves or flowers. right? And yeah. then they have a logic of making it and they can repeat it, which means that the instruction is told. And that gave me the window of opportunity at that age to think that this is what I want to study. right? I want to study how they have that capacity so I started with flowers, right. and then I moved on to structures called meristems. Uh -huh. so in a way, this will also relate to the plant structure. So uh -huh. plants, if you look at plants around us, they all have flowers and seeds, yeah. right? But the, the flowers and seeds and the leaves before the flowers, they all come from a group of cells called meristems. Uh -huh. And these are growing tips. And in common parlance, we call that stem cells. Even our bodies have stem cells, right? Yes, yes. The same way the plants have these stem cells, but the stem cells are arranged in a very different way in plants. Mm -hmm. And so I studied that for many years. Okay. Of what is the logic behind how these cells behave so that these plants can keep growing for hundreds of years, not like an animal which lives for maybe less than 200 years. Mm -hmm. Even the most oldest animal, maybe 300 years, that's it. Mm -hmm. There is an historical figure, I don't know if you heard of Methuselah, Never heard of it. Who is yeah, it? Methuselah is a character in the Bible. Uh -huh. And Methuselah, supposedly, I forget the number of years, it's over nine, between 960 and 70 years. Uh -huh. So Methuselah, so some trees are called Methuselahs because they live long. Okay, okay. So, so the, the, the reason is these stem cells behave very differently. Uh -huh. So the stem cells are what we call meristems. Okay. And the meristems can form either a shoot or a root. Uh -huh. That's a fundamental logic in plant evolution that you'll have a shoot and a root. And then also what you find is that uh, these, these meristems are not just producing structures, but they are producing structures in coordination with the environment. Right, yeah. So the, these groups of cells are able to perceive signals from, outside. from the outside mm -hmm. and calibrate their dormancy, their growth, the pattern of growth, and the type of growth. Mm -hmm. yeah. All of them can be calibrated. Mm -hmm. And they calibrate it to such perfection that they can just live out there, right? And so the, and the other thing is, you know, that as these plants grow, they also found strategies to make wood. So not just shoot and root, but a lot of wood. Okay. Mm -hmm. And making the wood is another kind of strategy to survive because a, a big chunk of the plant now is, is more or less uh, dead material. Right, yeah. But it keeps adding more wood every year. Mm -hmm. So you have these stem cells which add wood every year. So then it comes a third type of stem cell. First stem cell is like the shoot stem cell. Mm -hmm. The second is the root. And the third is the wood, or the, they call it cambium. That's a stem cell that makes wood. Okay. Mm -hmm. So these are the three simple things they have to build structures. And they build you know, all kinds of structures with it, you know, very elaborate trees or very tiny plant, or they can become so tiny that they live in water. Right, yeah. So they have that. So the other aspect of plant is what we call plasticity. Uh -huh. So in, in, in evolution, what happens is when the form takes a particular shape. Yeah. See, the reason why we are like this, we are bipedal, we walk directly, we look forward. All these features are not just us. They, we belong to a group called the primates. Right, right? part of evolution, right? Right, and that's why I'm, I'm trying to bring that logic mm -hmm. in. So part of evolution is that 
the earlier form is modified to give the more recent form. Yes. Right. So evolution does not create structures randomly. So when a lot of people hear about evolution, they say, oh, mutations are random, there's natural selection, and then you get different forms. But the underlying basis that the different forms doesn't arise out of nowhere. Right. So a lot of people, when they talk about evolution, they think, oh, can we get many mutant forms? Right? Will they all survive? Mm-hmm. Right. These kind of perplexing question arises and, and a lot of unnecessary debate or meaningless debate between uh, the religious creationism versus the evolutionary biology is a false understanding of what evolution is. Evolution is not just mutation and natural selection. Evolution is also changing form from one to the other ever so adaptably, Mm -hmm. right? And it it doesn't happen like a a mosquito becoming a a cat, right? So evolution has a strategy. Mm -hmm. If you look at the strategy of evolution, evolution is completely random. But the underlying strategy is you have certain forms that are available. And there are certain information structures which allow those forms to be made. Mm-hmm. So now those information structures can be modified ever so slightly so it doesn't completely break down, but shuffle the way that form is created and create a newer form. Mm-hmm. Right? And so in plans, what, what you see is that, that the evolution of form has been simplified to such an extent So if you want to simply look at evolution of plants, you can think about it like this. We talked about the three meristems, right? Three stem cells. Mm -hmm, Yeah. We talked about the shoot, Mm -hmm. the root, and then the cambium or the wood forming stem cells. Yes. So if you look at a a sequential path to evolution, Mm -hmm. early plants had only shoot. Mm -hmm. Very early plants. I don't know if you heard of the plants called, they're called bryophytes. Yeah, I've heard, yeah. The bryophytes have only shoot. They don't have a root. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So when the bryophytes evolved into lycophytes, mm-hmm. they discovered how to form roots. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right. And then when the lycophytes became ferns and then later gymnosperms, mm-hmm. which is the pines and the spruces we see, yeah. they found a way to make the cambium and the wood. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you see that sequential assembly of these programs. But what is interesting is, even though they're sequentially assembled, they're completely modular in many ways. So that, that's where I studied next, my next uh, path in my own career track was to study embryos. Embryos. Mm-hmm. So if you take a seed and if you open a seed, in the, in the seed is the embryo. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the embryo is where these meristems and the stem cells are put together. Mm-hmm. So from a, a single cell, a zygote, you have a program which will allow these cells to divide and form uh, a group of cells. Right. And from the group of cells, they, are, they know that, okay, at the top end, I should form a shoot meristem. At the bottom end, I should have a root meristem. Mm-hmm. And I'll put that together and I'll wait for the right conditions and grow. So that process is very important for us because a lot of the food we eat is seeds. Yeah. So I found a, you know, uh, in, that's the problem in human endeavor. And one of my frustrations in research is that um, when you talk about questions which are more basic, mm-hmm. there's no funds available to do that. Right. So most of the people who actually research plants in, in University of Saskatchewan, for example, yeah. most of them, Uh, 99% of them are asking, how do I get more food from the plant? They really don't want to understand the plant. Yeah, so the question, so everybody is pursuing, how can we take advantage of plants, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, how to to exploit maybe, instead of studying more. The reason is because a lot of the researchers, Mm -hmm. uh, some people might disagree with me, but a lot of researchers think that plants they have already understood them. What more is there to study? Just make them make more food. And that's why if you go to the University of Saskatchewan, if you're a breeder, a plant breeder, 
you'll get millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Or if you say that I'm studying all these genes in these plants, you'll get millions of dollars. But if you say, I'm just studying the plant, it's difficult to get the money. Yeah, because research is commercialized, right? Because um, well, how can we get the maximum profit out of anything? That's a big question everybody's asking, right? That's what I'm saying. That's part of our blind spot in our intelligence, mm -hmm. right? By, by asking that, we have short-circuited our own intelligence, right? Mm -hmm. right? And, and in many ways, we delay significant process being made in the way we can solve problems. Mm -hmm. See, if we had really pursued, this is my opinion, if we had really pursued with the technologies that we developed, in understanding the organism better. I think we would be much closer to making synthetic plants now. Synthetic plants? Mm -hmm. Yes, instead of 100 years from now. Mm -hmm. I see. Mm -hmm. Right? Because we think, oh, the land is unlimited. We can keep on cutting the forests and make millions of dollars and put it in our bank and go to bed and sleep mm -hmm. and think that we are solving the problem. Right. But you are the people who are actually stopping others from solving the problem because you've become the head honchos of these organizations mm -hmm. and you're preventing the flow of information by saying, this is the only way to study it. Mm -hmm. But imagine if, if those head honchos are not uh, having that superpower, mm -hmm. then a common man's voice will be heard. A young researcher's voice will be heard. The mm -hmm. funding agencies will be able to give more money out to other people. And so we would have been miles ahead because if you look at it, we, have already, we already have greenhouses. Mm -hmm. When you say greenhouses, these are structures where we can grow plant indoors. And now we have what is called containment chambers. We have chambers where we can finish the whole life cycle of the plant. So, but the reason is we think somehow technology can so answer all the problems. But the solution is actually, the plant has a solution with them. Uh -huh. the, the solution is in the way they've evolved. The solution is in the way they are so flexible. Uh -huh. And the solution is in the way how they respond to the environment. Right. right. Um, so, speaking about plant evolution, uh, I have one more question to ask you. So fungi, so that's very very curious to me where do they stand uh, is it a plant is it an animal so because there's a big craze going on around fungal products right psychoactive substance mushrooms all those things there's a re renewed interest in research in those areas right yeah how, how does that fit in so if you you know instead of going into the debate of whether that's it's a plant or an animal i think in many ways they are you know they behave like a um, uh, an animal because they cannot fix carbon, mm -hmm. but they are not like animals because they don't have a nervous system and they're not following that path in evolution. Yeah, yeah. And very hard to see them as an animal. To be honest, it's more if for the for a layman, it looks like a kind of a plant. You know. Yeah. So some people think it's a plant because you get this mushroom bodies and exactly, you know, yeah, yeah. Right. But a mushroom body is just the fruiting body of this fungus. Right, yeah. Yeah. Most of the fungi is excess mycelium. Uh -huh. And these are very thin strands that keep growing. And uh, now there's a lot of research into how they form a network. Uh -huh. So, you know, they, they have some kind of adaptive intelligence, uh -huh. which allows them to go and, and they have a very intricate bond with the plants. Uh -huh. Except in many ways, we live in close the, association, right? Yeah, the fungi fungi plant association, a very intricate association, is what gives you lichens. So lichens are organisms which have fungi and plant together, mm -hmm. and you can see them growing as a mat or a surface on wood and and wall and other places, mm -hmm. right? But majority of the mycelium of the fungi, along with the mycelium. Um, there's another group of association with plants. It's called mycorrhizae. Uh -huh. Rhizae indicates roots, and myco is the fun mycology is study of fungi. Yeah. So mycorrhizae is the intricate association of 
the fungi with the roots. Right. So if you think of a root as absorbing nutrients from the soil, uh-huh. the network of mycelia that extends from that root is a kind of surveillance network of the plant too. Because yeah. the plant and the fungi are in association. Yeah. And so these fungi can form these huge networks under the, under the soil. And in many ways, they make the soil too, because they decompose a lot of dead matter. Right, exactly. So it's uh, good for the soil too. Yeah, so the fungi are ma- mainly decomposers. Mm-hmm. Yes. They are able to decompose the cellulose, which is the hard substance in the wood, and, and cellulose in the leaf and other structures which fall. Yeah, I just uh, read something somewhere saying that um, about 300 million years ago, nobody could uh, decompose lignin. So the lignin got decomposed and we got this uh, coal and everything. But somehow they figured it out how to decompose uh, lignin and uh, thereby they could decompose wood. Yeah, so there are a lot of enzymes uh, which break down lignin. Mm-hmm. But What's int- what is important to remember is that these um, these associations that happen mm-hmm. is a very important part of evolution too. Because if you look at the time when the plants had no roots, yeah, there was a much more closer interaction with the fungi of the times mm-hmm. with those plants. I see, mm-hmm. right? And so a lot of the root function was carried out by the fungus for the plant. Mm-hmm. And the plants were very tiny. Oh, I see. But over time, the plants have mastered the art of making their own roots, but they have not lost their intricate association with the fungi, mm-hmm. you see? Mm-hmm. So they've done two together. They didn't burn one bridge to build the other one. Mm-hmm. They kept the one bridge open but they keep producing these root systems which grow into elaborate structures mm-hmm. that allows them to now absorb nutrients with themselves in larger volumes, mm-hmm. but at the same time, be able to interact with the fungal species that are available in the soil. And you know, if you study the biodiversity of fungi, we don't know a lot of the fungal species. There's so many of them we don't know, right? Oh. So the soil, how the soil regenerates uh, the fungal and the root systems form an important part of the soil habitat, right? how the soil is made and maintained. Mm-hmm. So if you look at farming, um, if you go to the 30s, I don't know if you heard of the dust bowl in the 30s in, in US. Mm-hmm. At some point there was a dust bowl because the soil became so almost like dirt. Mm-hmm. So they were not able to retain moisture and fungi and living organisms in there because the earlier method of farming was to plow the land, tilling the land. Mm -hmm. And then people realized over time that that degrades the soil because you're exposing all the fungi. So now we have no-till farming where the earlier plant roots and the fungi are left to do their jobs. And then you go plant on on that same surface. So we are learning, but our, our pace of learning and a rapid growth of what I call this so-called, you know, I, I like to label it as artificial intelligence. A lot of our intelligence is actually artificial. The reason is our sense organs have to assimilate a lot of data. Mm-hmm. Forget the artificial intelligence with cars and uh, the, the technology. I'm talking just about our brain. Mm-hmm. Our brains are super artificial intelligent machines. How so? Yeah? How so? Imagine you're, we, are, we are conversing, right? We're talking to each other, right? What I'm saying is not probably what you're understanding. Exactly, because you can only understand based on your experience, right? Yeah. Right, and you have a perception. You have a mode of wanting a particular kind of information. Mm-hmm. Right? So our very basis of communication is to make it as real as possible. Mm-hmm. The, the reason why we talk to each other is to make sure that we understand on the same terms. Right, yeah, yeah. That's just the way we communicate. But imagine, uh, forget communication, you know, a big part of our brain is visual cortex, mm-hmm. how we see things. Yes, yes, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So you are refreshing the image every millisecond. 
There's so much of data. Mm -hmm. It cannot be real, right? <laughs> it has to be artificially synthesized, but as long as it conforms within our realms of understanding, we call it vision. Mm, yes, yes, yeah. But the, the other example I'll give you is when you look at a plant, yeah. you say the leaf is green. Right. But how do we know? <laughs> I'll tell you why. Yeah. If you look at how the plant behaves, mm -hmm. the plant does not want the green wavelength of light. Okay. It wants the light in the blue and the red spectrum. Mm -hmm. And that's what it uses to absorb carbon dioxide. Yeah. The green is what is reflected. Exactly. It's so we see out. that and we label the plant leaf as green. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's all, so it's all in term, our head, right? In, in some way. So there is a term for that. The term is qualia. Mm -hmm. We qualify it, mm -hmm. right? And so imagine if you have a problem with your eyes and if you're colorblind, mm -hmm. you cannot distinguish the two. You cannot distinguish red and green. It'll look like brown. Right. So what I'm saying is that there's a lot of notations in our intelligence, which actually is fabricated. It's artificial, right? And so a lot of the... The reason why I say that is that it's a, it's a kind of adaptation. That's why I'm saying it. It's not a problem. Mm -hmm. When I say it's artificial, it's not a problem. What I'm saying is that it is not if you start to dissect it. Yes, yes, yes. You'll see that the attribute is something that is synthesized in your mind. It is real, absolutely real, right? I'm not saying it's not real. It's, you know, the Maya, that kind of concept. No. What I'm saying is that um, our adaptive evolutionary track allowed us to synthesize a lot of information by being able to assimilate it and synthesize it. Mm -hmm. So our thoughts are a little bit are, are on the synthetic side. They're not natural, right? Well, if you, based on that argument, everything that we experience is artificial. Right? It's something that is made out of your brain, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's part of the adaptive evolution, right? And so the, the thing, the reason why I, have, why I use that logic is to show that our intelligence is almost on equal footing with other intelligence. Mm -hmm. It's not superior. Yes, yes. Just because we can process more data, that doesn't mean it's, it's somehow better. Yeah, I want to ask you about this crazy theory that people say uh, that what if plants are farming us instead of us farming them? We think that we are farming them, but it is in fact plants farming us. They are giving us oxygen, sustaining us, and they are feeding off us our dead bodies. Is that true? Do you think of, do you think of that way? Yeah, being a plant enthusiast, I might be biased to think that way. And I know, I know writers like, uh, there's a writer, his name is Michael Pollan. Mm -hmm. He talks about that quite a bit. And he, one of his latest books is about the psychoactive compounds that is produced in the plants and fungi. Mm -hmm. But he's written a lot of books. And in many of the books, he, he discusses some aspect of the plant world and how we relate to it. Mm -hmm. So his first book was called, I think, The Botany of Desire, mm -hmm. right? And so, yes, and then there were books on food and he called Omnivore's Dilemma and all these things. It's an interaction between us and the plants, right? Yeah, so, yeah, you're right. So there's an equally possible, plausible explanation for the interaction that, you know, the way I talk to the kids, especially when I talk to kids in, in the school, because I started this thing called Why We Should Listen to the Plants. And I started giving public lectures. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I realized is humor helps a lot, right? So, I, you know, when I go to really young uh, grade six, seven year old, six, seven grade kids, mm -hmm. I would start my talk by saying, what did you do first thing in the morning? And the kid usually will say, oh, I brushed my teeth. And so what did you, what did you do when you brushed? Oh, I put some toothpaste. Yeah. So what was the flavor? There's a mint. <laughs> That's a plant, right? Then what do you do? I went to the dining table and I sat on the dining table. What is it made of? Wood, plant. And then your mom gave me a bowl of cereals or a bread. 
What is that? Seeds of plants. Yeah. And then I had a bath, and then I used soap, and the soap had a smell of jasmine plant. So you can go on and on and on. So we are so deeply ingrained in many ways of getting products from plants. Yeah. But I don't think our educational stream really triggers that. Mm-hmm. And it's part of our anthropocentric view of the world, right? So if you look at our educational programs, uh, the first thing we do is we make people successful in building buildings, engineers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Next, we make people very good at curing diseases of the body. We make them doctors. Yeah. Then we make them good at managing finance. And then we make good managers. And then we say, okay, we need some food, so we'll have some agriculturalists. But we don't have any plant biologists, right? We don't think of that as, as, a, as a fundamental core. And actually, if you look at the educational stream, that is something that is chosen given the last choice. And that is part of the plant blindness we, we live in because if the more and more we are far separated from that world, mm-hmm. we think it's nature. And it's so true and, because uh, when, when you think about it, people are too fond of, a little bit more fond of animals yeah. more than plants because we had this cloning and there was a huge craze about um, recreating dead species like mammoths. You know, but when it comes to plants, there is no such big news, right? Nobody is that much interested in recreating an old plant, you know, personally. Unless and until it's like a beautiful flower. But even for flowers, I don't think people are too, you know. But, you know, for... but, but, uh, but you, you, if you really think about it seriously, a little bit uh, deeply, we don't consciously interact with plants. Mm-hmm. But we subconsciously are almost like the fungi interacting with plants. Mm-hmm. I'll give you a simple example. Yeah. One is one of the classic examples I give kids is not here in India is you turn on music, mm-hmm. especially the songs where the man is singing to the woman or the woman is describing something about the beauty of nature and the man, vice versa. Usually they'll be describing a flower. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And look at the customs we have here across the world. Flowers and emotions are closely bonded. That is true. Yeah. Right? Rose is associated with Valentine. Mm-hmm. White lilies are associated with peace. Certain flowers are associated with death. Right? Certain flowers are anniversary presents. So you see that um, there is this subconscious interaction, which is much deeper. Mm -hmm. But our artificial intelligence and the educational system that supports that is delving so deep into that, a wedge into that in many ways. And I think there are two reasons. One is that uh, our subconscious world, we become too objective. You know, if you look in the last 200 years, if you go back 200 years ago, we did not have the scientific worldview. Mm -hmm. Our worldview was based on some belief structures, right? And in that belief structure, fear of certain things was a very important criterion. So you don't go into the forest, you don't disturb that place, right? Mm -hmm. Either maybe the snake lives there or... It's something very uh, you know, valuable for the community, so don't disturb it. Mm-hmm. Our scientific education has made us realize that oh, those are not true. But the same scientific endeavor has created a huge blind spot in thinking that we can solve all the problems. And that has buried deep in, that is buried deep into our educational stream. So it's buried so deep that when you go into the universities or even in the school classroom curriculums, all they talk about is they talk about STEM, science, technology, engineering, math. Mm -hmm. And the plans are fit into the science. They don't fit into technology, engineering, and math, right? And within the science, they are a very small part of that. A lot of the science is mathematics and physics, chemistry, 
and human biology and animals, and then comes plants. So you see how we are in a way, we are trapped by our own uh, way of looking at our own intelligence. Mm -hmm. okay. And one of the ways to break that mold of thinking is to give agency to other organisms without falling into the same old loop of having to worship them. Right. You don't have to worship them, just like you don't have to worship another human being. Right? <laughs> we do that, right? We still do that. A lot of our gods are, you know, human beings <laughs> in the shape of human beings. Percent. So, so what I'm saying is that our blind spots are not in one direction. They're in many directions. So when we have a trajectory of uh, what we call progress and growth, we have to realize that if you have a three, assuming that we respect 360 degree vision, our vision bandwidth is less than maybe 45 or maybe 80 degrees, maximum 80. Mm -hmm. Because 80 in, includes a lot of peripheral vision. Yeah. And that is with, with specifically vision. But I'm talking about vision in terms of thought. Yeah. That's even narrower, our bandwidth. Right. And so our intelligence is within that bandwidth. And the rest 360 bandwidth is still available mm -hmm. for us to learn from, right? And if you want to learn from that, you can't learn from that by using our own intelligence. It's like always, you know, I don't know if you heard the saying, um, the, this is the interaction between a teacher and a student in the Zen, Zen tradition. Yeah. A student goes, and the student says, you know, I want to learn this from you to the teacher. Yeah. And the teacher gives, serves, okay, that's good. Let's have some tea. So he brings two cups. And then he fills the cup, both the cups. And uh, he says, the teacher asks the student, what do you want to learn? Mm -hmm. And the students keep, keeps talking mm -hmm. about what all the students learned. In the meantime, the teacher is drinking the tea. Mm -hmm. The student is busy talking, not listening. Yeah. And so the teacher's cup is empty. Mm -hmm. So what the teacher does, he takes the teapot and he fills his cup. Student is still talking because the student wants to tell the teacher what all he or she knows. Okay. And after that, he takes the teapot and starts pouring it in the student's full cup. And it just overflows all over the table, wets the paper, makes a big mess. And the student asks, what are you doing? The teacher asks, what are you doing? <laughs> you came here to learn or you want to teach me? Right? So in a way, if our intelligence is cupped, is filling the cup to the brim, that is a false sense of security. Absolutely, absolutely. Because... If you see history, that we can see clearly see that what we know 100 years before was so different from what we know right now. And exactly. it'll be so different from 100 years. It grows exponentially anyway. So from 10 years now, it'll be completely different than what we know right now. So, But the, 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 the important thing to remember is not what we know. What we know is still in that bandwidth of less than 45 degrees uh -huh. and maybe even less than 20 degrees view, right? And what we don't know is exponentially increasing. And a lot of what we don't know is the problems we are creating. And that is the danger. The danger is the very intelligence we think we are dependent on is preventing us to learn. It's just like the cup that is too full. Okay, okay so due to our human activity, we are shrinking um, forest area and so on and it's happening at an alarming rate yeah so especially at the amazon brazil rainforest all those places what do you not think just there you know everywhere, everywhere yeah. yeah a lot of the islands yeah. a lot of the palm palm you know if you look at the palm oil industry every time you eat a bag of lace chips mm -hmm. or you know pringle or one of those chips the oil comes from those forests, which has been eradicated. Yes. So is it is it going to be irreversible or we can still 
make it up see we it's not see that this is the problem with our intelligence right it's not a question whether we can make it up or not it's a question of how much struggle will our children go through children's yeah. children go through right right and if we will survive as a species the reason is if we push our uh, resources which are which i call regenerative resources uh-huh. right the natural resources are regenerative right so if we push our boundaries without awareness of the consequences what will happen at some point is because the plant has such strong bonding with the fungi and the bacteria they can form team up mm-hmm. and when there is a huge calamity in a symbolic way they can kick us out we'll be out of this game right and so then either we move to another planet or we will go extinct that is a possibility see when we talk about global warming climate change and all the crises that comes yeah not it's not right away i mean it it will happen eventually because that's the trajectory of growth that's where we're going yeah yeah so then the question is you know how do we come to terms with it the only way to come to terms with it is to find out how can we become smarter with the way we use things because we are going to use things there's no doubt about it we cannot live otherwise what are we going to invest in i do to make more food and somehow say i will solve all the world food crisis that is again a blind spot in intelligence mm-hmm. because we are not thinking about the forest resources right so every time we make an endeavor too strong without without counterbalancing it with all the blind spots that come with it and in many ways i think a lot of it is is to do with how we uh, look at our, and that's one of the reasons you know when i talked to you earlier i told you about why you know part of the learning process is unlearning mm-hmm. right and but the problem is you know if you want to unlearn you still have to make a living right so there's no uh, you know if you de- decide one day that i'll teach people about plants and if you don't have a job and if you go through a lot of mental stress mm-hmm. then that source is you know completely dry right mm-hmm. it becomes dry mm-hmm. and so you have to find other ways of finding nourishment so if you feel nourished only when you have a job and you're making a lot of money then you cannot go down the other path yeah so there is a sacrifice involved and when only when the society starts to recognize that some people are actually making that sacrifice right mm-hmm. only when people start to do that then i think there will be a, a mode of communication available right otherwise you know somebody will make a noise and they will they will the resources will dry and they'll have to go back and work for somebody else and then it will dry up right and so if you look at our earlier that's why i go back to earlier cultures in an earlier culture situation cultural situation there are a lot of other teachers who are not part of the universities and were not part of you know the mainstream of this commercial endeavor right mm-hmm. but were given space in some form or the other to be able to communicate and help inform about the blind spots okay of the bigger system right if the bigger system just usurps all the energy then that is i think part of our collective lack of intelligence so i talked a lot about individual blind spots mm-hmm. but the collective lack of intelligence usually happens when we use a tool like for example before people used a religious tool to block scientists now you can have the scientists block the the other part of science just like that mm-hmm. where you're not allowed to pursue your field of inquiry just because you're finding fault with the system in place mm-hmm. and i think that is a point of growth in human development 
where you're mature enough to accept many opinions and not go about quenching those opinions to make your opinion stronger. And our societies throughout the world have that crisis. I think I, I call it the crisis of wisdom. We have a lot of data. We have a lo lot of in information. But the information is not allowed to mature to wisdom. And the pundits of the system, in many ways, convert their information into wisdom and say, we have the wisdom. Mm -hmm but the wisdom is lacking, right? The wisdom is lacking because, and part of it you can see, you know, in one way, if you look at the social systems we have, right? If you look at the capitalist uh, system, yeah. the early phase of capitalist system allows a lot of free growth. Mm -hmm. But if you start to follow the track of where the energy and the wealth goes, it goes in the hands of very few who start to control the whole system. And we are facing that crisis in, in many ways of how the wealth is managed. So we are, all, we are always asking the question of how to manage this better? How can we distribute this wealth better? Absolutely. And part of the US election was that, right? Yeah, so if you, if you look at it, so let's take an example of USA so, or, or just any other country. So if you see the rich people of any society at any given time, these days are industrialist business people or people who are in the financial sector. Yeah. But if you think about it, there is a, another set of group of people who should be compensated equally. These are uh, researchers or intellectuals, but, but they are kind of, they're, they're not compensated equally in any terms. Yeah. Uh, the society that we have, because it's capitalist perhaps, um, so in this society, people who profit the most in terms yeah. of economically is business people. That, that's how we have created the society. Yeah. But if you think about it in a little bit um, deeper, how people profit the industrial is what they use is they use the scientific, um, the results that was obtained from, from scientists, right? Yeah. That's how they, they flourish. Yeah. So, so the research scientist or intellectual, they should be uh, they should be encouraged in a in, in an economical way too for any society to proceed, right? Yeah, the, the the other you know, in many ways you know, if you look at how we look at progress, mm -hmm. prosperity, wealth, because we are so bounded by our senses, and we believe in possessing a lot of things, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that we somehow think possession is related to progress. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, I, I always look at plans, right? If they decide, you know, if you look at plans, if they start to make uh, sugar using the carbon, and if they decide to keep it all within them, <laughs> instead of putting it down into the roots and giving it to the fungi, instead of making a fruit and giving it to the monkey, instead of making seeds and giving it to us, if they decide to keep all the carbon, they would not be masters of nature. They mastered nature because of the way they distribute the resources. And the relation, yeah. <laughs> and, and one of the ways we can think of it is that they don't have senses. So they don't calculate you know, they don't have risk analysis. Uh -huh. Absolutely wrong. They have risk analysis. They have. But their risk analysis is grow only when needed. Right? Uh -huh. And every time they have a lot of resources, they give it away. But I'm not saying that we have to be like plants. What I'm saying is that so these are, you know, systems of natural organization, be it in biology or in plan specifically uh -huh. that we can learn from and adapt in social frameworks with meaningful interpretations instead of looking at plants just as food, right? If you think of them as our, our uh, predecessors in terms of how they've evolved, uh -huh. and if you look at them as our younger sibling who's very different, 
there is something that we can take from that, not just food, but a lot of wealth of knowledge about adaptation, about how change and adaptation takes place. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because in, the reason I, I started thinking about this in a, in a very kind of, even though it sounds a little bit quirky, in a very tangential form is because if you look at how societies evolved, we went from uh, small groups of individuals mm -hmm. to larger groups who became hunters and gatherers. Yeah. And then we became societies. We became settlers and started agriculture. Mm -hmm. In many ways, we have become more and more like a plant in terms of our movement. If you take 7 billion people on earth or only 8 billion, 7 and a half billion people, more than 90% or 70, or let's say 75% of the people are born, live in a particular place and die there. Mm -hmm. Only about 20% actually migrate and do and move and do things. And with planes and you know uh, vehicles, we have succeeded in making movement easier, but still, yeah majority of the population live in a very small location. Oh, yeah. In many ways, our social framework is more like a plant world. Uh -huh, uh -huh. But we have not incorporated a lot of the strategies the plant use, okay. which means being very regenerative, allowing sustainable systems to regenerate and work for our benefit instead of just harvesting it and putting it as wealth and making it uh, sequestered and associating status with it. Mm -hmm. We associate social status with how much of wealth we have instead of how much of wealth is given. And, you know, it's just a perspective matter, right? Mm -hmm. It's a matter of perspective. Who has and who, ha who doesn't have, right? And when people don't have, then they want to grow that same scale of growth, making it more and more and more and more unsustainable, right? And so... There are many things you can, uh, you know, co-opt from the plant way of doing things mm -hmm. into our structure. But the first thing, the most interesting aspect is just to make our own food in hard biology. Plants are so flexible that, you know, we should be right now looking at synthetic plants where, I'll give you a simple example. If you look at a plant, it produces say 20 leaves. Yeah. And then it knows, okay, after 20 leaves, I should make a flower, right? And we have methods of learning that. But we have never thought about space as a constraint. If you think space is a constraint, then you would apply the logic of saying, if the plants can make 20 leaves and produce 15 flowers, why, why can't I make the plant produce five leaves, five leaves and one flower and one fruit every two, three days? then you don't have to wait for a whole growing season to harvest food. You okay. can have a container environment where you can go every day, instead of going to a grocery store, you go to the uh, container uh, space and say, okay. which plant is ready to give you the, which fruit? Today it'll be tomato, tomorrow it'll be potato, next day it'll be eggplant, mm -hmm. right? You can, you can, just like you go and collect eggs from the chicken farm, mm -hmm. right? You can have your own container farm where the plants are allowed based on environmental triggers to convert biomass into food. And we haven't thought about it. We still think about products. We still think about marketing products. And that is another anomaly with food, right? If you think of food as commodity and just trade and think of it as just eat like any other economical endeavor, mm -hmm. That's another reason why there is, it's not that we don't have enough food in the world. It's that we sequester food in certain places in the world. And so some people have a lot of food and you have diseases associated with a lot of food. All the chronic diseases that we see in a food abundant society is directly related to food exposure at odd times and excess quantities. Right. right? Diabetes, uh -huh. you know, cardiovascular diseases, sedentary lifestyle. Everything is to do with food being available all the time. Right? If you have a fridge full of food, you can eat at 12 o'clock at night, which is an odd time to eat. 
you can eat anytime you want. You can store the food for many weeks, right? So all these are not available for more than 50% of the world population. So you can see why I'm highlighting all this is not to say that our society is really messed up, but more so as how we can look at one window of opportunity we have to see how we can fix many problems. You can come about to looking at problems from different perspectives. And sometimes, you know, that the problem is we are, it's like this, we are caught in, a, in the flow of a river. And many times when people come and tell you you had to step out of the river, you feel really odd. Right. But that's the problem, right? That's that, see, the, that, that is the problem that we cannot, you know, have people be able to make changes very quickly. That's part of the human problem, right? Yeah. Okay, so give me one moment. I uh, just want to take a short break here. Sure. One moment. Okay. <laughs> 